I don't know about you, but when that kid cries, it gives you chills. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. Oh, man. Well, today is Mother's Day. We've already focused on that a little bit. And we just want to just, again, say Happy Mother's Day to all of you. And I know that many of you came here today and you're like, you know what? There are many things I hope for in church, but one thing I really hope for is that Ike will tell a cheesy story or a cheesy joke. So no one thought that. I'm here to, you don't even have a mic on, so no one heard that. So anyway. No one thought that. <laughs> a 15-year-old, here it is. Thank you. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in. A 15-year-old came bounding into the house and, and he found his mom in bed. And so he, you know, he asked if she was sick or something, you know, or something, you know. And uh, he was truly concerned about her well-being. And so she said to him, you know, as a matter of fact, yeah, I'm not feeling so good. And so the son replied, well, don't worry about dinner. I know, or and I'd be more than happy to carry you down to the kitchen. That landed a lot better in the other service. That landed a lot better, you know. It's not funny. James, I thought I paid you to laugh. Ha <laughs> ha, yeah, there it is. All right. Um, now, although this joke is meant for humor, uh, although it's kind of meant to, you know, whatever, uh, I think it portrays a pretty common stereotype uh, of what a mom does, okay? Uh, it, some of the things that we often seem to think moms do is, like, they make the meals, uh, they do the daily house chores, they change the diapers, especially the stinky ones, you know. Uh, they drive their kids to all the different events and all those kind of things. Now hear me out, none of those things are a bad thing. None of those things are negative. But I think sometimes when we think of a mother, um, those are sort of the stereotypical images that we have. And so we just want to take a moment today and just realize that the role of a mom the role of mother goes way, way beyond these things. And again, so we're not saying anything negative about, you know, some of those stereotypical things. Um, absolutely, those are totally fine. But what we want to do today is we want to look at the word mother in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever done a, a word uh, study in Scripture on, on, on mother. And you're going to see that the word mother is actually used in Scripture many, many times. And it's used in, in, a, in an amazing way. And to illustrate, you know, power, to illustrate confidence, and you'll see that. And then we want to end by looking at a couple of influential stories or influential moms who, who had a huge, huge impact on, 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 on their children, obviously. And so we're going to take a moment. Maria's going to start us off by looking first at the culture, the Hebrew culture. She's going to focus on that a little bit. So um, time is yours. So first of all, happy Mother's Day. And we recognize, as we were studying this week, thinking about who would be here, and we understand and recognize that for some, Mother's Day is a difficult day. Maybe for some of you, you've wished to be a mom, and that dream has not been fulfilled yet. Or others of us, um, children have been lost. Or maybe some of us here, are we've lost our moms. So Mother's Day isn't easy for everybody, and not everyone in this room is a mom, right? For sure not everyone. But we all have a mom. So that's where this is applicable to everybody today. We all have a mom. And both my moms, I want to talk about my mom a little bit today. Both my moms are great moms. My, my mom that I grew up with and my mother-in-law now. But as a kid, my mom was larger than life. She was an adventure mom. She was a missionary mom, which makes her super, super human. She actually uh, trotted around the globe with my dad to share their knowledge of agriculture and the love of Jesus with other people and other cultures all over the world. 
And as a young mom, a mom of uh, a three and a four-year-old, she learned two new languages. She went to school, uh, they went to language school to learn Spanish. And then um, when we moved into South America with the, the Indian tribe, she learned Guarani, the language of the tribe there, uh, which is pretty incredible in itself. And then she birthed two babies in the jungle of South America. And you all know what that means. That means no pain medication. She did it. And uh, I know some of you here might have actually done that as well. Um, so she was on her own um, with my dad there and uh, giving birth to two babies there. And then she homeschooled us, which uh, I know for some of you, you're like, what's the big deal? No big deal, homeschooling. But can you imagine homeschooling before the days of computers? This is in the early 1980s. There were no computers at all. So we're talking here when she had to send our work away, she snail mailed it all the way to North America. It would get to North America, they would mark the work, and then they would snail mail it all the way back to South America. And no looking up stuff on Google. There was nothing like that. There was no questions of that. You would read. You'd actually have to read books. Yep. You are blowing some of these kids' minds. I know. I know. They can't even imagine. And Skype, no FaceTime, nothing like that. You know what we did? To hear our grandparents' voices, my grandparents, they would record on a cassette tape and they would mail it down to South America, and we would gather around our kitchen table, we'd put that cassette tape into the tape recorder, we'd listen to my grandparents' voices, and then we would record our message back and send it back to North America. It took months. So my mom, she was pretty incredible. She taught us Bible stories from when we were young, included in homeschooling, and uh, she always did a special job of decorating birthday cakes for us with what little she had there in South America. Very, very special mom. And so I celebrate her today. And I know that as a group here, we celebrate our moms, right? And that's what we want to do. We want to celebrate moms today and just share a little bit of, of how special moms are and, and how God made moms to be unique. The Bible actually has a lot to say about moms. And you probably have noticed by reading your Bible that uh, the Hebrew mother occupied a higher position in society than women in general. And we know this because of the multiple examples of women in the Bible who cried out to God because they weren't able to have children. Maybe they were barren um, or, or whatever was their circumstance. But you can, you can think already of a few in the Bible of women that were, that were scorned, that wanted so desperately to have children because she knew that as a mother in Hebrew society, you were elevated to a higher position. And we also can see this even how, uh, how Jesus treated his mom, right? Uh, a very special woman, and he treated her as such. So what I'm going to do now is just kind of look at some of the different ways that the Bible uses the word mother. And so in the Bible, mother is sometimes used in a figurative kind of a way. Um, nations uh, were sometimes thought of as mothers. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel, for example, uses the word mother as a metaphor for Israel. And, and so you'll see this a number of times. We won't obviously look at all of them because there's, there's a lot of them actually. So for example, in Ezekiel chapter 19, we see how the writer in this poetic kind of a way uses mother to describe how they are being nurtured and cared for, you know, as, as if they were being cared for by a mother. So let me read it to you. Um, Ezekiel chapter 19 verse 2, it says, What a lioness was your mother among the lions. So, you know, again, a very poetic way, but what a lioness was your mother among the lions. She lay down among the young lions and reared her cubs. She brought up one of her cubs, and he became a strong lion. He learned to tear the prey, and he devoured men. And we'll look at that a little bit more because there's, 
there's, there's more to that, and you should read the entire passage uh, later on just because, you know, what it, all, what it all states there. But if you continue down, he uses this, you know, metaphor again now for as a vineyard, though. He says, your mother was like a vine in your vineyard planted by the water. It was fruitful and full of branches because of, of abundant water. Its branches were strong, fit for a ruler's scepter. It towered high above the thick foliage, conspicuous for its height and for its many branches. Now, what you see in both of these uh, metaphors, these descriptions, is how often the, the effort of the mother is completely wasted. It's as though she wasted her time in what she did. And so it, with the lioness, he, she raised this little cub to become a, a strong lion. But here's what, what he did is he began to kill people. He began to devour men. And so what happened was all the people, you know, they captured and they killed the lion because he was too strong and he was too powerful. Then you see the, the, where she was the vine in the vineyard, but ultimately even the earth, it go, goes against her and it uproots the vineyard and everything is for nothing. And, and Ezekiel uses this as a metaphor for how the sin is destroying them as a nation. And he actually concludes in verse 14 and he says, this is a lament and is to be used as a lament. In other words, this, this, this effort of this mother is to be mourned because she did all this work and yet in the end it turned against her. The very work that she had done turned out um, to be you know, an example of how sin was destroying the people of Israel or the nation of Israel. In Jeremiah he uses the concept of a mother as uh, Israel as a mother to personify the nation, uh, nation's sin. In chapter 15 verse 9 it says, the mother of seven will grow faint and breathe her last. Maybe there are some moms in here that have had seven children and said, Amen. Amen. Seven children will do you in, you know. Um, it says here, the mother of seven will grow faint and breathe her last. Her son will set while it is still day, and she will be disgraced and humiliated. And I will put the survivors to the sword before the enemies declare the Lord. Now, here again, Jeremiah is using this metaphor, this you know, mother, as a way of saying that the sins of the people were so great that it's literally causing death to the nation. In the same way that rebellious sons would bring so much trauma and hardship to a mother, that's what the sin is doing to the people of Israel. The word mother is also used to describe large and important cities. For example, in 2 Samuel chapter 20, we read about Abel Bethmachah, and it was called a mother in Israel. In verse 20, chapter 20, verse 19, it says, We are the peaceful and faithful in Israel. You are trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. Why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? So again, this big city, and it's talked about as a mother in Israel. The figurative meaning of mother was also ancestral. For example, you know, Eve was referred to as the mother of all living things in Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. God blessed Sarah by declaring that she was the mother of nations in Genesis chapter 17, verse 16. Rebecca was blessed to become the mother to thousands upon thousands in Genesis chapter 24, verse 60. And these are just a few of the way of the references of how mother is used in the Bible. And so clearly the name carries with it a lot of weight. This name, mother, it, it carries with it a lot of weight so that when, when the writer uses it as a metaphor, as a figurative language, people understood the importance of it. 
It carried important meanings. It carried influence. It carried with it strength and confidence. So I just want us to understand this morning that the word mother, even in Scripture, carries with it far more than the meaning of someone who runs after their children or someone who folds laundry or someone who, who does the household chores. And again, none of those things are negative. None of those things should be looked down upon. But if we begin to see, oh, well, when we talk about mother you know, uh, uh, or a mother, it's, it's someone who does those things. The Bible doesn't even use that word that way. The Bible uses the word mother as a, as a metaphor for someone who, who literally holds things together. And so as we you know, look at this this morning, I think it's so important for us to just recognize that. So these are just a few examples of how the word mother is used in Scripture. And, and like I said, there are many more. What we want to do now is just look at a few stories in, in Scripture and, some of the, and see some of the lessons that we can learn from them. Because in these stories, we see these beautiful relationships that mothers had with their children. And I think that there are some excellent examples for us in how we, uh, or excellent examples from in those how we can learn from them. Mother-in-laws enjoy equal status in the Bible. And I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful that I have a great relationship with my mom-in-law, which is absolutely so wonderful. Mothers, though, in our culture, they get a pretty bad rap, right? And uh, that's not always... That's, that's, a, that's very sad, actually, and really it's upon us to take care of that. Um, but in Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth in the Bible, we have an example of a very healthy relationship and a, a beautiful relationship. We see the beloved mother-in-law, Naomi, right, and then her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And in Naomi, we see a beautiful representation of love and compassion and sincerity. Naomi experienced the kind of hardship that most people would not be able to bear. If you think of Naomi's life, right, and this is... A pretty familiar story. Naomi, her husband, she lost her husband first. She had to bury her husband. Left with two sons in a foreign land. Didn't know the culture. Those sons marry foreign women. So as a mother-in-law, thinking, putting yourself in that position, getting to know uh, girls of a new culture, and obviously probably pretty challenging at times. And then her two sons die, leaving her with the two daughters-in-law. So much hurt, and she has experienced so much loss, but instead of being angry towards her daughter-in-laws, she expressed such deep love and care for them, and she went out of her way to place their needs before hers. If you want to take a look in your Bibles, we're going to read a little bit from chapter 1 in Ruth. Ruth is found in the Old Testament. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them, and they wept aloud, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And then they wept again together. Then Orpah, and this is one of the daughters-in-law, she kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. So here we see, I think, a beautiful example or a beautiful description of a good mother. Um, and you, you see this today all, all the time still in, in these healthy moms, these, these wonderful moms. Someone who is willing... In, in, their, in the face of their own pain, someone who is willing in the, in the struggles that they have to still, instead of focus on themselves, they focus on the needs of their children. 
And that's what Naomi's doing here. In the, in the midst of her own pain, she's experienced all this loss. Even though these are her daughter-in-laws, she is willing to look beyond her own pain and, and focus on nurturing and loving and providing and caring for her daughters. Uh, even in her own pain, she was willing to forget the, the loss that she had. She was willing to forget you know, and over, overlook those things so that she would be able to focus on providing uh, for what was best for them. At the same time, I think we see in a beautiful example here of how to honor our mothers. Now, we're not going to be too hard on Orpah because, you know, we don't understand why she needed to go back. I'm sure there was a reason for why she was like, no, I'm going to go back to my homeland. But Ruth decides to stay. And Naomi urges her. She says, you know, you need to go back. But look at Ruth's reply in verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, most of you have probably heard those verses at a wedding. Now, these are often the kind of verses that are used when a husband and wife make a covenant to each other for life, you know, for better or for worse, richer or for poorer, sickness and health, forever, till death do us part. We are not separating. That's the kind of commitment that Ruth makes to Naomi. She said, I'm not, I'm not leaving you. Ruth cared about the well-being of her mother-in-law. And so instead of going back to her own people, instead of, you know, as much as she could, instead of salvaging her own, you know, reputation, her own life, you know, and trying to get back into the groove of, of being a single person and just, you know, getting on with life, Ruth is like, no way. She commits herself completely to her mother-in-law. And, and if, if you continue to read the story, you see that God richly, richly rewards her for her sacrifice. Both of these women were willing to look beyond their own interest in order to do what was best for others. And so I think there's an incredible lesson in here for both mothers and for daughters. And, and to recognize the importance of not just pursuing your own interests, but together pursuing what is best for the other. Now let's look at possibly the most famous mother in history. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus. In Mary, we see the embodiment of motherhood. Mother-son relationships are always special and unique. And in Mary's and Jesus' relationship, even more so. We see a brilliant example of humility. Nowhere in history is Mary's name mentioned outside the scope of her son's presence. And this didn't really become a, a, a I didn't see the truth of this until we were studying it uh, this week. But if you think about it, Mary is always um, spoken of in the context of her son, right? Mary's greatness came from Jesus' greatness. And she herself was the recipient of God's greatest gift to mankind, which was Jesus. Yet she never sought glory or fame for herself. And being a mom and, and just thinking of Mary, um, and, and you mothers in the room can think of this too, but Mary was a person, was a woman that just had the greatest joys, the, the highest highs, and also the deepest sorrow, right? The deepest sorrow that anyone can know, watching your, your child be tortured to death and, and then die. And... Just the, thinking of Mary and what she went through in her life. Um, and, and then we see a few times in scripture where it even says, Mary treasured these moments in her heart. And that's just what a true mom does, right? We, we hide those things in our heart, those special moments. And those things, we never forget them. The Bible infers that she was a devout individual. 
in Luke chapter 2, we're going to stick there almost for the rest of our uh, time here this morning. Luke chapter 2 talks about Jesus' early years. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, it says there, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. We can read from this and we know that Mary and Joseph loved their God. Right? They were devout. And although it appears that at times Mary didn't fully understand who Jesus was or how his ministry on earth was going to play out, she was fully devoted to him. And we see this when she and Joseph lost Jesus. You all know this story, and uh, we're going to study it a little bit. They were terrified, and they were frantically searching for him, right? So if you follow, Luke chapter 2, verse 42, it tells the story. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. And this would have been very common. There's nothing out of the ordinary about this. Because it was such a community, they would have just assumed Jesus is with his cousins, his friends, his aunts and uncles. No big deal. And then, after three days, okay, when they, when they did not find him, sorry, backtrack to verse 45. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Now this is getting to be a bigger deal because now they had to backtrack one whole day, right? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Is this not the nightmare of every parent, right? Your child goes missing. Mary loved her son. And even though she understood that God had a plan for him, she really still took full responsibility for his safety and his well-being. Yeah, at another place where we see the relationship, but we see it in a different way than, than anywhere else, is at the wedding in Cana. Uh, and this is an interesting event because here we see a side of, the, of Mary and Jesus' relationship uh, like we see nowhere else. Um, here we see that Mary was firm, and now by now obviously Jesus is an adult, but we see that Mary was firm and respectful at the same time. We also see that Jesus shows a tremendous amount of respect for her wishes despite his reluctance to get involved. Uh, Mary is aware of his abilities and so she's pushing him and I think it's important for all of us here to remember as parents, she now pushes Jesus towards a higher service. At first Jesus tells her that his time has not yet come but Mary's like, I'm going to have none of that. L listen to the story, John chapter 2 verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Now, this story, we could spend a lot of time on this because there's a lot of questions about why Mary was there because if you look at the rest, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And so we, maybe G Mary was there as a guest. Maybe Mary was catering because why is she so concerned about the wine? You know, uh, and so that's, you know, anyway, something to, to think about. You can study that for yourself. Verse 3, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Listen to Jesus' reply. Dear woman, can you not just see God up there going, oh dear, oh dear. That's like saying, mom, you know, as a 30-year-old. 30 you know, but anyway, dear woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. And look at Jesus, I mean, look at Mary. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Oh, isn't that a, a typical mom thing to do? She was like, I, I'm not even going to argue with him. I'm just going to move this situation forward and we're going to resolve it. And she doesn't give Jesus really any wiggle room out of it. Mary understood Jesus' potential and ability. And it might be said that Jesus needed this to begin his public ministry. It's possible that this is what he needed to kickstart 
what he was here on earth to do, maybe. Moms have a way of challenging us and pushing us to go beyond what we feel is possible. And the reality is if we were talking about just any mother-son relationship into this story, we could pull all kinds of lessons from the story. But this gets a little tricky theologically. I don't know if you've thought about this ever. This gets really tricky theologically because this is Jesus we're talking about and Mary. This is the Son of God. She is telling God to do this. And he says, my time has not yet come. And she's like, whatever, do what he says to do. You know, whatever he tells you. And she just completely disregards. So I want you just to, to wrestle with this for a second. Did Mary force the hand of God? Have you ever thought about that? Did Mary force the hand of God? Now, we could spend all kinds of time in this, and we don't have time, but we could spend all kinds of times wrestling with this. But I just want to say to all the kids in the room for a second. Okay, kids, are you listening? If the Son of God knows better than to disobey his mama, maybe, just maybe, there's a lesson in here for you. Now, like I said, you know, this is a tricky theological question, but we'll leave that alone for a minute. But rather, we want to focus on what is the practical lesson here. I think the practical lesson for all of us here as parents, and especially to you as mothers, is Mary challenges her son towards a higher service. Jesus is... You know, and we'll just forget the tricky theology for a moment. Jesus is saying, I'm not ready. The timing isn't right yet. And Mary is like, no, this is what you need to do at this mom moment. So moms, I want to challenge all of you to bring your children to a place where you challenge them towards a higher service. Where even whatever excuses they may come up with, whatever issues they may have, but you are constantly challenging them and saying, God has a bigger plan for you. God has something special for you. And even in those moments where maybe they don't see it, to continue to push them towards that. Because that's the beautiful thing that Mary does here. She's like, you know, this is what we need done right now. And Jesus is like, my time has not yet come. And she's like, just, just whatever he tells you to do, do it. So mothers, challenge your children towards higher service. And children, what a beautiful lesson here to trust our moms. Paul says in Ephesians 6 verse 1, and you, you all know these verses, they're very often quoted. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, and here's the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. In the Bible, Jesus gives us a beautiful example of what honoring your father and your mother might look like. He was God, and yet he humbled himself to become an obedient child. At the end of chapter 2, again, we go back here. In Luke chapter 2, at the end, it says he was obedient to them. And that's Jesus. And then it also says here uh, at the very last verse, Luke 2, verse 52, and Jesus grew in favor with God and men. And that was all of the people around him, right, including his parents. So he had a big impact um, by honoring his mother in those situations. So these are just a couple of stories, the three stories that we've really quickly, and we could look at a lot more, but time, time's running out. But for example, you have Hannah. Remember Hannah? She prayed for a baby. She wanted a child. She couldn't have children. God, you know, um, well, well, she prays and says, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you, God. And so God gives her, and she wasn't just empty promises. She actually brought the child back to the temple. And, and Samuel, what an amazing work that he did. And so I think sometimes when we think or when we define you know, someone, we define them by what they do. And so this morning, I wanted to say to the mothers, what you do is important, but the other thing that's so important is who you are. Who you are, the, the, the person you, you are. I know our kids, they love the things that Maria does for them. 
But I guarantee you that what they love more is who she is to them. Who she is as a, as a confident person, as someone with integrity, as someone who, who is loving and gracious. Uh, and, you know, and so those are, who you are is so much more important than just the things that you do. And so I want to just challenge all of you as mothers here today. You know, continue to lean into your children. I know I've had the privilege of talking to a number of, you know, new moms, and sometimes it's just like we're just exhausted. We don't, know the, we don't know what to do. I would like to just encourage you, continue to lean into your children. Continue to pour into your children. But here's something that's really important. You need to also care for yourself. You need to care for yourself because parenting is exhausting. Parenting can have some struggles, and so pour into yourself. You know, make sure that you're devoting yourself to Jesus. Make sure that you are... You know, spending time with God alone, and I know you might be saying, when do I have time for this? As you can, do that, because if you are not taking care of yourself, then ultimately what you're doing is just the doing. It's who you are that's so, so important. So moms, I want to challenge you, and fathers, this goes to you as well, obviously, to continue to pour into your children, and then to wrap it up. Kids, if I can just speak to you for a moment, would you honor your mother? Would you honor your mother? This isn't just an obedience. This isn't just in, in what you do and things like that in the sense of, of obeying rules and stuff like that. Honoring your parents is literally, as you grow up, you're literally saying to society, hey, look at me. The way I'm living, the things that I'm focused on, the, the values that I have, I'm doing these as a way of honoring the people who poured into me. The people who poured into me. And so children, would you honor your mother and would you honor your father because I, you know, the Bible actually says it's the first commandment with a promise that life will go well for you if you do. And I know some of the moms are going, yeah, it will go better for you, boy, if you do, you know. But let me wrap up in prayer and then we'll watch a quick little video to highlight the next service, that's, uh, next series that's coming next week. Let's pray. God, we want to just thank you for the moms. I think of my own mom and just the years and years that she's poured into praying for me and how she continues to pray for me. And I just pray, God, that you would just be with all the moms here today in the room. Would you just help them as they continue to pour into their children? Would you nurture them? Would you empower them, God? And those that are maybe tired, maybe those that don't know what to do, with the, especially the little ones or older ones, I just pray, Lord, that you would just continue to give them wisdom and understanding. And we just ask that you would just uh, enable them to continue to serve you and to raise their children and become fully devoted followers of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.